0: Did you know it's Tom and Clarissa's 17th wedding anniversary yesterday? Fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I, I went. I made a mistake uh, about my my son's girlfriend's name yesterday, and so I'm not going to go into p- partners' names. So um, I'll stay off that for the moment. It's great to be here. Thank you very much for that. Welcome, Tom. That was an amazing message from the Bishop of Sheffield. I just have to say, bishops don't often do that in terms of not just saying, you know, welcome the speaker. That's great. I'm I'm pleased by that. But actually, what he's calling you to be as a church, and how he wants to be in partnership with you to see some new things in this new season for you. So, I I mean, it would be great. Maybe to even publish that in some way or send it because it's, it's such an encouragement to you. I think to say you know, the diocese is behind you, that's the kind of collection of churches, and the, and the, um, the bishop who's over this area is saying, we want to, um, SDC to go for it in terms of not just growing yourselves, reaching the people who are around you, but actually reaching this city and reaching the wider area for Jesus Christ. And so that's amazing. So um, I'm really, really thrilled to be here to be part of that. Um, I have known Tom, as he said, for many years, and it's, uh, you've got great leaders here. And I've known Mick for many years, Mick and Tricia, and, um, and Mike before him. So, Tom, it is great to be here. Thank you for um, what you're doing and how you're leading this church um, in this new season. And so um, please pray for Tom, Let's pray for the leaders here. It's um, always challenging when you're a church leader who's kind of trying to step forward into new things, um, and kind of wrestling with some of the challenges of change and of, um, of growth. That um, often when you stick your neck above a parapet, it's exposed to be shot down. And that's both in spiritual terms, but also sometimes the church can be not very nice to its own people. So please pray for Tom, the leaders for this church, for all that God has for you to do, which is amazing things in the future and for now. I want to speak, you're doing a series on Nehemiah, if you weren't here last week. Um, I think, Tom, were you preaching, just to introduce. You. someone was preaching and introducing that. And I'd love to read some words from Nehemiah. You're kind of going through it um, chapter by chapter. I want to kind of um, skate over the surface. So, excuse me, I'm not going to do a, a deep exposition today, um, maybe another time. But um, today I want to really think about what God might be calling you to do as a church in the whole area of church planting. I'll explain what that means if you haven't heard it before. Um, but first, of, you know, the first time I heard about church planting was when I was a student. I was converted at a different university in Birmingham, and um, uh, I'm so grateful to the students who were in the second and third years who invited me to church. Um, I was invited to church around kind of early October to a guest service. And for the first time, I'd been brought up as a Christian, but I'd never heard anyone. Um, well, I'm, I must have heard them, but it, it was like in a way the gospel was presented in a way that clicked for me. And there was an invitation that was offered um, to, for people if they wanted to, to follow Jesus. And that moment, I thought, yes, I want to respond to that invitation. And God completely turned my life upside down for the better. And um, I remember just a few uh, months later, hearing about the church that Tom was talking about, Holy Trinity Brompton, HTB in London. They had just um, been invited by their bishop to reopen a church that was just about to close. And they sent a clergy person with a team of people, and they reopened this church called St. Barnabas Kensington, and it just came back to life and began to grow, and they planted churches themselves. And um, I remember hearing at the time, I thought, wow, that's amazing to see churches restarted or reborn or reopened. I'd love to be a part of that in the future. And so um, don't, you know, if you'd be risky about the kind of prayers that you pray, because I'm now doing that, I'm just passionate about church planting, and I'm I'm just seeing God doing so many new things in the church that I'd love to share some of those stories that you're a part of as well. So as we begin, let's... um, uh, let's dive into Nehemiah. And I'm reading from Nehemiah, a bit of Nehemiah chapter one and a bit of chapter two. So let me begin. Nehemiah one, verse one. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, I don't know when that is, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, this is Nehemiah speaking, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. So he's in Susa, a long way from Jerusalem. Um, he's been exiled. Um, a previous king had um, transported and raided Jerusalem, broken down the walls of the city, and taken a whole, um, the whole people of God to a, a, another country far away. He's part of that now, and he's hearing about what's happening back in his, um, in his hometown, his home city of Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah then says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then he prays that God would do something, that he would um, transform this situation. And he finishes by saying, give this prayer, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, the king. He was, my worked for the king as one of his assistants. I was cupbearer to the king. Chapter two, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I'd not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? I love this. Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in his sight, let, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And the king basically says, go for it. You can go. He has favor in that place. Lord, thank you for this reading. Thank you for the book of Nehemiah. I pray that you would speak to us um, through these words, through what I'm going to say. Lord, that you would speak to us individually in our own hearts. You'd stir us up to the things that you're doing things you have for us personally, but also as a church, STC, Lord, what you have for this church. Speak in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing um, I want to say really is I want to apply church planting thinking to these words in Nehemiah. Um, Church planting is starting new churches to reach new people in new places in new ways. Think This church is full of people, it's fantastic. What about some of the people in, for example, East Sheffield? Churches are tiny there, and yet the population is high. People there are in, if you look at demographics, it's a poorer side of the city compared to this side. How will the people there hear the gospel unless someone goes to them? Church planting is part of that, whether it's starting new churches, brand new churches or if it's revitalizing old ones that are in a place of struggle. It's much easier for churches that have a lot to be able to send people where there is very little. But it needs to be part of the DNA of a church to capture that desire. Because one thing to build up, it's a good thing to build up and and strengthen and grow, but it's another thing completely to give away to send, to give money that you're not going to see back in this life. Often giving away your best leaders. It's a challenging thing to do. So in our past, we have a huge history through the centuries of church planting, of starting new churches, and there have been seasons of starting new churches. We're in a season where we haven't seen much church planting in the last few years in the Church of England. Lots of Um, independent denominations have been doing it. The Church of England hasn't been doing so much. But we're in a season where this is rapidly increasing. And your bishop, the Bishop of Sheffield, Pete, is calling you to join in with it in a new way. That's really, really exciting. So within this, the first thing I think that we see in Nehemiah is for... God to call you to enlarge your vision, to raise your sights, to see what God has beyond what you have right now. Like I was saying before, it's a good thing to grow your church. We want to see the churches grow. But it's another thing to say, actually, what about beyond? What about churches out there that are really struggling? Or what about places where there is no church? When um, Nehemiah heard about Jerusalem, he was doing a great job. He was called to serve the king in this foreign land. He was a devout God-fearer. He he prays to the God of heaven. You see this beautiful prayer. And he he, um, follows the God of Israel. And he calls out to him. So he's, he's serving in a pagan place. He's got to the very top of his profession. He's serving at the king's table. He's probably a wine taster, which kind of sounds good, but actually, if someone wants to poison the king, they put it in the wine. So it's kind of a challenging job. So you really trust the cupbearer. bearer. That's, that's why it's a key role. Now, Nehemiah is getting on with life and being a blessing where he is, and he hears this news from Jerusalem a long way off. And God raises his sights and gives him a vision to see the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt. I believe that God is calling you to raise your sights to beyond this place, to beyond not just um, the amazing words. One of the ways I first heard about as Thomas Crooks was through your development of missional communities planting all over the city, but part of this church. I believe God is calling you to start those communities as independent churches, to send churches to start new things in new places, not just building up here, which you can continue to do, but to start new things in new places. Um, I was involved in um, a church in East London because um, while I was at Holy Trinity Brompton, I was there for um, a number of years, and the Bishop of London said, we need to plant a church in East London. We're just about to close some churches there, a place called Tower Hamlets, and um, there's one in particular, might be good, St. Paul Shadwell, Love you. We're just 12 people left. We're going to close it. Would you like to be part of a team going? And um, my wife and I thought about it a long time. Initially, we said no, and then we actually really felt God saying, no, we need to go. Um, the reason we said no was because it was, we we're in West London. We we're in Knightsbridge. It was beautiful there. And East London was um, not, not as nice as that before the Olympics. <laughs> and In our eyes, if you speak to an East Ender, they go, you know, how dare you say that, um, which is often the perspective um, and it felt like going to a different place. It's 45% Muslim, uh, mainly Bangladeshi Muslims. Um, I'd never been to a place where people wore burqas, and um, just the whole context was completely different. Uh, 45% young professional, but mainly atheist, and about 10% old East Enders. A lot of their children moved out further east. So three very dim- different demographic groups. We felt we had something in common with the um, young professional people. There's a lot of work to do even there because of their mindset, uh, kind of quite anti-antagonistic um, towards God. But we felt God calling us to go, so we we went with a team, 20 people from our um, from our missional community in West London, moved house, moved church. They one um, couple they sold their house. Um, she was um, eight months pregnant and she moved. She had her baby in East London rather than West London, and um, but that group felt called by God to join us. And there were a number of other people who came from the East End of London who came and joined us as well. And we restarted this church. It was a huge challenge, a huge privilege, but a huge blessing. And um, we left behind amazing children's work, amazing support and structures. And um, I had a team of 30 people. I was on the staff. It was just, you know, to go to a team of one. Um, everything had changed. And yet, this was what God was calling us to do. And we saw God do incredible things in people's lives: people coming to faith, people coming back to faith, people um, being ministered to—the poorest of the poor. That, in just north of the road, the, the, the main road where the church was based on, just north of that place was the highest child poverty in the country, number one. You'd never know it, it was behind closed doors, and God challenged us to kind of reach out and do some things in that community. And we got favor with the local community because of that, loving our neighbors. We had the chance, again, to plant four other churches over the next few years in different parts, sending a team of 20 people to one church, a team of 10 to another, a team of 15 to another, a team of 20 to another. And as we gave away, we began to realize the blessings of giving away. It not just uh, meant giving away our best, because they were, that was really, really hard, but it, it gave opportunities for others to take their place, to learn and to take leadership roles. We saw God give, we raised more money giving away than we did for ourselves. So we'd have a gift day and we'd raise maybe 20,000 pounds, we thought that was amazing. When we planted our first two churches, it happened in one week, unfortunately it wasn't planned that way, it's just the way the cookie crumbles, but we raised 85,000 pounds in one day. I don't know the maths, but God kind of looks after that, and that's what they needed. So people were got into. It's almost like the DNA of their church. Of of this church was actually about giving away. There was one stage where my treasurer just said, "We've got a bit of a problem because 40% of the budget is going towards church planting," and I was thinking, "That's fantastic. What's the problem?" She said, "Well, we do need to run this place as well," but nevertheless, actually, you know, having part of the budget for church planting. And begins you to say, actually, what are we giving away in order to enable other churches to thrive? So you remember Rich and Louisa Grant, some of you might know them, they were in this church, they came and joined us for two years um, as Rich was training for ordination, and then I think they came back here, and they went to Gateshead um, to uh, be in part of a partnership. Um, So I don't know if you realize that you've planted a church in Gateshead um, with them, and uh, uh, they took a number of people with them. That sacrificial generosity from this church to enable that to happen. So you've already done that um, over there. And I believe God is calling you to do that, but around here in Sheffield. So the first thing is raise your sights to what God might have for you. It actually involves your DNA changing as a church. It means you've got to um, have almost like genetic engineering where you say, we're not just going to grow, we're going to give away. That is one of the biggest challenges for larger churches, to kind of adapt. And I think it is a genetic change in your church that you need to do. So for some, if you were like me, I don't know how many years, 35 years ago, where God stirred in my heart, it wasn't that long, 30 years ago, in my heart, you're going to be part of this. God might be stirring people here, whether it's 30 years' time or three years' time or three months' time, I'd love to be a part of that. Listen to that voice of God in you. Raise your sights, raise your vision for what God might have for you. Second thing we see here is joining in with what God is already doing. I love the fact in Nehemiah that God has prepared the king's heart. The reason I think that um, this might be stealing from next week's sermon, but um, uh, when, when um, uh, Nehemiah says in, in verse, chapter two, verse two, he says, I was very much afraid when the king says, what's wrong with you? I was very much afraid. Why, why is he afraid? He's like he's like the number two to the king. Why is he afraid? It's because the king could have just said, um, away with you. You're banished, or I'm going to have your head cut off for being impertinent. That was the kind of nature of that kind of king. So he's nervous about what, um, what the, how the king is going to respond to his request. So when he shared, when he, that's why he's kind of prays to the God in heaven and then says, repeats his request. And he finds favor with the king. God has already gone ahead and prepared the king to say, yes, I want, the, I want you to help this person. When Nehemiah then goes to Jerusalem, he finds that the people are ready to respond to rebuilding the walls that he calls them to do. Families... Um, uh, leaders are ready to say, Yes, we will join you. We want to be part of this um, rebuilding of the city. We've been here for a few years and we haven't done anything. Now we want to step in. We want to be ready. God has gone before. And that's exactly the same with church planting. God goes ahead of us. We think we're the saviors. We're going to go to this new place and rescue it and bring a new life to this place. No, 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 no. It's, you discover that God is already there. So it's actually going to a new place and, and Discovering what God is already doing and then saying, How can we join in with what God is doing? It's a key principle of the kingdom of God. God goes ahead of us. How can we join in with what He's already doing? When we um, went to uh, Shadwell in East London, um, uh, there were two people in particular who really touched our hearts, who we got to know. They were our neighbours. So we made a practice. I love the um, lights on the, the streets, full of lights. Streets of Light, thank you, .org.uk, or is it .co.uk? Anyway, you, you, you heard it earlier. Um, fantastic. Um, for us, there were two people in particular who just really um, were on our street. We invited our whole street, about 100 houses, to Christmas parties in our home and summer parties in our home. So we did it twice a year, everyone, and only about 5% overcame. There were different 5%. But we got to know a number of our neighbors. Some never came, some, they saw us coming if I was knocking on the door and they'd kind of retreat and not even answer it. I used to take my children along after a while because they, they would respond if there were children. <laughs> but um, two people in particular, one, Ronnie. He'd lived next door to the church for 40 years and he'd never been inside it. He used to work for the News International, the newspaper organization. He came, um, he actually ended up, he preferred beer Um, because he was always in the local pub for most of the time. But um, we started off with tea, and then we kind of moved to different kinds of drinks. And so he loves a beer. We had a beer with him. Over a period of time, he saw young people coming to the church, and he began to kind of hang around the bottom of the steps of the church. Um, A couple of months later, I saw him halfway up the steps talking to some of the people. A couple of months later, he was at the top of the steps. A couple of months later, he was helping open the door for people coming in. Never went in. A couple months later, he was inside. There were two sets of doors. He was on the inside door opening people. A couple of months later, he was at the back of church. And then a couple of months after that, he was then standing behind the back row. He'd, I've never seen him go further than that in the church. Um, but over, the, over a period of about two years, he started coming to church. He did Alpha, um, uh, the evangelistic course, The the extraordinary thing about he knew kind of that it would be a a decision time for him if he did the course and he said no I'm not ready yet and I said to him Ronnie we've got a real problem we have not got uh, someone who can organise the serving of food and you would be amazing at it and I just wonder if you might be able to do it tonight and he looked at me he said I know what you're doing (laughs) but I will do it and I said the thing you need to know is that People who are serving need to be kind of present for the whole time and so he said, okay, and so he was part of, he heard the talk, he heard that he was part of a small group and he went through the course didn't become a Christian I said, Ronnie, we need another person to do the catering kind of coordination he looked at me again, I know what you're doing <laughs> but on that course he gave his life to Christ and he, then is a, he is one of these people I call a person of peace. So he goes into the local pub, the prospect of Whitby. He talks up the church. He says, oh, have you been to the church? You must go to the church. There are a lovely bunch of people there. Come with me if you like. And he does that. To, he knows everyone, a person of peace, and is unlocking the opportunities for the gospel all over that area of London. Ronnie was another. Second person, Karina. She was someone who had left Sweden, Swedish woman, um, in a terrible state. She was married with children. She'd left them because of alcoholism, and her life had fallen apart, and she was kind of nursing herself in some way, and we met her. She, um, uh, we invited her to church one day, and she, uh, she came not through my invitation, but through another person who had done a second invitation. But she came to the back, sat down on a sofa at the back, And she cried her way through every service for like a year. And whenever the worship started, she started crying. And we heard her story, and she uh, eventually gave her life to Christ, and we just saw extraordinary things in her life began to change. She um, realized that she needed a lot of healing herself, emotional healing. She then realized that she needed to sort out her family. So she reached out to her children, first of all, and began to developed a relationship with them, they came over, um, they were reconciled. Then with her husband, um, she reconciled. They didn't get back together again, but they are friends. And um, so now she lives back in Sweden, with a, a very close to her family. She has the grandchildren over, they've come, because they've gone, um, got to that stage. And her life has been transformed through Jesus Christ. There's no other explanation. And that was someone else who God put on our doorstep, just a neighbor who we got to know, inviting her into our home and into the church. This is what happens in church planting. How will they ever hear the gospel unless someone goes to them? If someone from another church over there invites them to come, they're not going to go over there. They're going to come to a church here. We need to plant churches in new places to reach new people in new ways with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important we join in with what God is already doing. He's prepared people for us to share the gospel with. Final thing I want to say is um, about uh, the fact that everyone has a part to play. Because you might think, "Well, that's great. There are going to be ten people who are going to go from here to another place, and um, that's great for them. What about me?" Well, first of all, you might be part of that group. So that's the first thing: is God is calling people right now to be part of a team in the future to plant from this church. Uh, one of many teams. The second thing is that actually as a sending church, you have a part to play. So there's a sending church who sends the team. and Don't just let them leave. You've got to send them. It's a completely different experience. If people leave, they're not going with the blessing of the church. If they're sent, they go with the blessing of the church, the support, encouragement, funding, and that kind of thing. So be senders. Take that responsibility. Not with like a, a teenager leaving home. Send them. Equip them. Help them. Give them the best start that you can, you can give them. Same with church planting, as ascending church, give, um, you know, be generous, encouraging, supportive, prayerful um, for those things. Or the, there might be the planter, you're actually part of that team. But also there are intercessors. God has called people in the church to be intercessors, people who are going to pray this into being. And this is, a, this is like a battle that is contested. The devil does not want old churches to come back to life. He does not want new people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he will stop this kind of thing happening. And if, if, if I've never been so aware of the spiritual battle as in church planting, it is contested ground. So intercessors, please pray for this. And you might feel stirred in your heart, and you might say, I don't know what an intercessor is, but I want to pray for this. Great, that's the same thing. So praying for this is really important. Encouraging. People who go on these teams need encouragement. The, the people here, Tom and co, making those decisions, need encouragement say, be bold, be courageous, be generous, be sacrificial. It's much easier to do that when people are saying, go for it. We're right behind you, we're supporting you. And this is a key part that most of you will be playing in this. And then there's giving, financially. This stuff costs money, when you, and it's a double whammy. You send money to get them started. But also, if you think there are some people who are givers going as well, so you're going to lose their giving. If you treat it like loss, it's really painful. If you treat it like, this is so exciting, we're going to enable a new church to start in this new place, it's going to be amazing. New people are going to come to faith, people are going to come back to faith, lives are going to be transformed, families renewed, Um, communities transformed, it's going to be amazing. Then, of course, it's like, well, how much more can we give? How can we enable that to happen? How can we get the percentage up to be generous in that way? Um, I love the uh, story of Ben Doolan, another one of yours, who um, planted a church where he was sent from here, wasn't he, to college and then to um, St. Michael the Belfry, and then he planted from there to um, St. Thomas, Newcastle. Amazing story of God opening doors where... um, uh, they weren't able to meet, and you know, the bishop wanted him to plant, but there was no church available. And the main church they wanted was saying no, 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 no. And then suddenly, about a year after, with lots of praying, this church said yes. And they opened their doors so wide to Ben that there was an incredible welcome. They've seen favor upon favor upon favor because of the generosity of churches, of supporters of people saying, please. Um, you know, go for it. And he has, if you know Ben, he has gone for it. And every time I hear a story of him, he's leading someone to Christ, or someone else has become a Christian. He's an extraordinary evangelist. So we all have a part to play. So I want to bring this into land. And that doesn't mean I'm going to speak for 15 minutes. Um, (laughs) What I want to say is that you have a part to play. This is, you've got an extraordinary legacy in this church of Planting. Planting missional communities. That was a a very important season, and I I suspect that's not going to stop. But God is calling you, and you heard it from that message from the bishop, to step into a new kind of planting, which is sending people to start a new church which will become autonomous and um, impacting a new place and really developing ministry there. One tiny thing I want to say that we've learnt in the last few years, which is through multiplication, about multiplication, where when you plant a church, you don't just send the leader and the team, send an apprentice leader with them. And what the apprentice does is he or she learns how to plant so that then in time, they will plant a church. So you've got not just, you're not just planting a church, you're planting a church-planting church. And then, when you've sent them, you take on a new apprentice, this one takes on a new apprentice, and that one goes with the new apprentice... And so the next time, there are six churches. Do you see how it works? So multiplication is something. It's a DNA thing where you just introduce that and say, let's have an apprentice as part of it, and suddenly you get multiplication built in. God is doing something with us in the Church of England, not just our denomination. Every denomination, God is stirring us into these things. And I believe God is calling you. In fact, it's more than I believe. Your bishop's calling you to do it, The leadership's wanting it to happen. Um, I, I remember conversations with Mick saying, I'd love this to happen. So this is something which God is stirring up in you. What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do? Would you like to stand?